Welcome to Willow Park Church this morning. We're so pleased that you've joined us. The Bible declares this is the day that the Lord has made. I don't know what kind of week you've had, but today we're reminded that this is the day that the Lord has made. He's brought it together. He's in control. He is with you. And as we prepare our hearts to worship, I want to say thank you to those that are joining. Those in Lake Country that are joining us at this time. We're so blessed that you're joining us. Those who are from the South community, we're so blessed that you are joining us. And those from Rutland 33, what a blessing it is that we are one church and yet we have so many wonderful expressions. It reminds me of that scripture in Corinthians where it talks about the body. And that within the body, each person has a role to play. And maybe you've forgotten that. Maybe you've forgotten that you've got a role to play. That even though we're in this pandemic and all of the challenges and the difficulties that we're facing, that we're in this pandemic... And yet we know that God has a purpose, God has a direction, and he is with us in this time. So welcome to Willow Park Church. This morning, we continue our journey on the book of Daniel. What insightful truths have come out. They've been powerful, haven't they? Such truths about being a faithful people in a period of exile. <laughs> I feel like I'm in exile with all of this. You know, the pandemic kind of makes you feel as if life is just a little bit watered down. You know, it's all a bit, uh, it's all a bit just, a mm, bit watered down, doesn't it? It just makes it feel like, oh, it's not, it's, it's life, but it's not quite life as we knew it or experienced it. We're not meeting friends. We're not going to people's houses. We're not waving at each other at church. And yet we've got church online, but it all feels a bit, a bit, you know, blah, a bit, ugh, I feel sad. Uh, and yet God can do so much within our hearts at this time. That's the truth. That really we've got to concentrate on our inner landscape. What God is creating within us and the way God is moving. And that's what I've been thinking a lot about this week. About my own inner life. About this part of me where I allow the Lord to bring sanctification and transformation into my life. Great thoughts, great themes. Well, we're going to begin our service now and let me pray for you. And let me pray that God will bless you as you log on and watch. So many wonderful things uh, happening. We're still running a marriage alpha. Uh, 125 couples. Get your head around that. That's like 250 people plus facilitators and leaders. Absolutely beautiful what God is doing and the way that God is working in those lovely couples. And we're looking forward to reopening youth. We're looking forward to engaging with children. We are thankful for the ways that we can keep meeting and working. So, yes, let us pray together and welcome the Lord. Father, thank you for your goodness and thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing 
And we pray, Lord, as we gather this morning in worship, may our hearts be filled with joy. May we cry a hallelujah. May we be willing to express our love and our thanksgiving and our excitement for you, Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Let's worship together. Let's celebrate, church. Good morning, church. We're so grateful to, uh, to be able to be together in this way. Let us take some time to pray uh, before we start worshiping. Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this time. Thank you that we can come and we can worship wherever we're at um, in whatever room we're at. God, I just pray that this will be a sweet sound to you, our hearts lifted up to you. And I pray as we sing this song, our hearts would understand a little bit more about building your kingdom in this place of earth, bringing your kingdom here to, to show your love to people around us. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.
excited to be able to be a part of, of that kingdom building and God partnering with us. And it's so, so amazing. And, and a big part of this Daniel series is, is God being enough and uh, God being enough of, of who he is for us to go through the hard, hard times. So as we sing this next song, it's called Enough, and it is just a beautiful song about God being enough for us.
thy will and thy rich promises in me fulfill I need thee how oh, I need thee every hour I need thee oh bless me now my savior I come to Help us not forget how much we need you, God. As we walk through the pain, as we walk through the fire, as we walk through the, the fantastic moments and the victory, let us know that we need you, God. In your name, amen. Thank you, Jordan, for leading us. We're so grateful. And thank you. He preached a great message uh, last week from Daniel in the, and the story of uh, the three friends in the furnace with a fourth friend that arrived and that deliverance of the Lord that, that came and moved and worked. And that whole thought about living on Main Street and, and we feeling like we're foreigners or exiles, but actually we know where our real citizenship belongs. Uh, powerful word and really well um, spoken. And, um, and as we pause right now and get ready, let's prepare our own hearts. The reason why we often feel like exiles is because our citizenship is in the kingdom of God. In Luke's gospel, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is within you. Me. Imagine that. You're part of the new kingdom that Daniel of course, introduces the everlasting kingdom, not the kingdom of Babylon, not the kingdom of the Persians and the Medes, not the kingdom of the Greeks or the Romans, but the kingdom of God. That you have the kingdom of God that is within you. And so, Lord, we thank you that as we look at communion, we are reminded that we are citizens of heaven because of the death of Christ. That the cross is not only a place of death and sacrifice and pain. But the cross now becomes a door of which we enter through the cross. From moving from condemnation to being a new creation. We move from feeling as if we are failed, a failed people, 
fragile and broken, to moving through the cross and knowing that we are utterly and completely forgiven. Thank you, Lord. That my life was once in chaos, spiritual chaos. And we've moved through the door of the cross into, into a new creation, into being calm. Thank you, Lord, that the cross enables us to move from being children of chaos to children of peace. I will not experience that judgment of the wrath of God because Christ, you have paid the price. And we're reminded as we look at the bread, you gave your life for us. The body of Christ that takes away the sins. Thank you for the body that was broken so I can be forgiven. And Lord, thank you for the bread. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your sacrifice. And we pray as we eat it, we remember all that you did and gave for us. The body of Christ. Eat it in remembrance of him. Can I remind you that we carry around a lot of garbage, a rucksack of pain, of guilt, of shame, bad choices, sin. But it's only the blood of Jesus that cleanses us. It's only the blood of Jesus that takes away that shame and that sin. Thank you, Lord, for the blood of Christ that takes away the sins of the world. Drink it, remember. Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and have life to the full. One of my favorite verses, John 10, 10. But remember, earlier on it says that the thief comes... To lie and steal and destroy. But I have come that you may have life. And that is where we live. We live in the reality that we have life. We have life. And the life of Christ that is within us. And so. May the word of God. As you hear it being preached. May it bring life. And may it bring freedom. But before that. We're going to go over to Willow One News and no doubt Courtney's going to share all that is happening in Willow Park Church. What a blessing it is to be part of this awesome community. Enjoy. Hello, Willow Park Church. My name is Courtney. Thank you for joining us at Church Online. Here is your family news. If you are 55 plus and enjoy singing, 
We want to invite you to a special hymn sing every Sunday night at 6 p.m. starting tonight at Church Online, on Facebook, and on YouTube. Pastor Curtis will be leading us and we hope to see you there. It's that time of the year again where we would like to invite you to participate in Metro Community's biggest fundraiser of the year. This year will look a bit different with individuals and their family bubbles walking in their own neighborhoods to raise awareness and support the people experiencing homelessness. Sign up to walk on February 20th or donate towards a team at metrocommunity.ca slash cnoy. If you're wondering which team to support, you can search for Pastor Joel Federson, who's walking with Team Maple Springs this year. We have so many fun things coming up for kids and families here at Willow Park Church. First, if you haven't heard, we are now offering in-person Kids Church every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. during our drive-in church service at Willow Park Church on Highway 33. This is for kids age 4 to grade 5. Space is limited, but no pre-registration is required. Learn more at willowparkchurch.com slash drive-in. We are also hosting two drive-in movie nights with four showtimes on February 26th and 27th. Reserve your spot and purchase concession at willowparkchurch.com slash movie. And finally, we are planning to run Kids Camp in person during the first week of spring break, March 15th to 19th, for kids age 4 to grade 5. Space is limited, so register today at willowparkchurch.com slash kidscamp. That's all for your family news. Thanks and enjoy your service. Good morning, everybody. It is great to have you join us this morning from the south and uh, Sarah has joined me just for a minute or two because we want to say a thank you uh, to our wonderful South community. Uh, last Sunday, we had a delivery of a beautiful banquet. No, basket, basket which had a banquet in it, um, among a lot of other wonderful things. As a thank you to us for 10 years uh, ministry at the South and I was thinking about it this morning as I was getting ready for the sermon. I thought we'd come full circle. I remember on our first Sunday, there was maybe 30, 40 people here. And, uh, and then the Lord has caused us to grow, which is wonderful. And then we've kind of come full circle to back to groups of 50. Do you remember that? And now, like, there's a group of maybe six or seven of us in the room making this happen. So the Lord has a wonderful sense of humor. But... We, uh, we did want to say a huge thank you. It is a, it's an honor and it's a joy to be uh, your pastors here at the South. We've had a lot of change, my change of role as well, and, uh, and it's, just, it's, just been, it's just been amazing. So we just wanted to say thank you. So I'm going to ask Sarah to pray as well for our sermon and say whatever else she wants to say. Yeah, it's been, it's been great. I mean, I, when we came here, I kind of asked God if we could have 10 years because from my own dad's experience as a pastor, I knew that it kind of takes 10 years to kind of establish anything. And, uh, and we made it. I was like, wow, we did it. 10 years. Yay. Now, I don't know if we've got another 10 years. We'll see. <laughs> but let's just go with what we've got. So, uh, but very, very grateful. We felt so overwhelmed um, with all the kind words and letters and notes and the little gifts that were in the, and then big gifts too, which is just so exciting. So we're, we're planning on where we're going to the Fairmont Hotel in Vancouver. Ooh. 
And uh, That's how we roll. I'm going for summer. Glenn's pushing for a spring break, but we'll I'm see. pushing for next week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, thank you again. So let's pray and uh, we'll have our service together. Father, thank you for the fact that even though we are apart, we are thinking of one another, we are connecting with one another in small ways like texting or seeing each other at coffee shops or going for walks. And Lord, it's just a few of us connecting with a few of us instead of all of us connecting together. But Lord, I pray that in the midst of that, as uh, has been told in worship this morning, that you are building your church. Mm. And that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so even in this time, Lord, you're building your church. And we pray that you would help us to see the changes that you're making in our own lives. And help us to see how we can encourage and disciple others in their lives too. Mm. That we would reach out to encourage and to build one another up and to edify each other. And that then when we come back together, we would have amazing stories of how you have used us in ways that we didn't expect. And that you've drawn us closer to yourself and Mm. to each other. Mm. Lord, I pray for Glenn now as he preaches that you would give him your words and not his own. And you would help us to see that even this story of Daniel, which is ancient, it's thousands of years old. And yet you are the same God. And you are saying the same things in Daniel's time and in that Babylonian community as you are saying today and in our Kelowna community. Mm. Bless your name. Bless your word. Mm. Amen. 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 Thank you, babe. Amen. Okay, so grab your Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 3. We're going to be landing there pretty quick um, because we've got this is a, a big chapter to get through and I want to share uh, some thoughts. So basically this is what we're going to do. We're going to read a little bit and then we're going to talk a little bit. And the chapter really speaks for itself so beautifully and I just want to guide us through. And what we're looking at is essentially is how do we thrive and succeed in a culture Uh, like our own, like Babylon, like our own in Kelowna in 2021 in the West, how do we succeed and thrive in a culture that is constantly pulling us in a direction that really is against the kingdom of God? And so uh, we've got Daniel and his friends, and this chapter we're really focusing on his friends, uh, not on Daniel, but they not only succeeded, but they, they were faithful to their God while living in Babylon. So they never became Babylonian They lived in Babylon, they lived in a culture very similar to ours, and if you are wanting to catch up with how that can be possible, then encourage you, especially the first two sermons of this series, uh, if you look for them, that it really connects Babylon to our modern Western uh, worldview and viewpoint and culture. And so we're going to talk a lot today about culture, but also how do we navigate through it and remain devoted to God. So let's, uh, let's jump straight in. Chapter 3 of Daniel. And we're going to read from the very first verse. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold 60 cubits high, which is 90 foot, and 6 cubits wide. And set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. He then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and they stood before it. 
Then the herald loudly proclaimed, nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, what's a zither? It's actually worth a Google. It's kind of an interesting instrument. Uh, The zither, uh, lyre, harp, pipe. And in some versions it says bagpipe. Um, And Sarah's very excited about that because... uh, because we all thought the Scottish invented the bagpipes. Apparently not. It was used in Babylon. So sorry, Scots, uh, Scottish friends. Uh, that is, that's down to the Babylonians. Uh, and all kinds of music. You must fall down and worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship immediately will be thrown into the blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, notice they dropped the bagpipes. And who can blame them? Um, And uh, all the nations and the peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Right, so let's just pause there just for a second. This is one of those Bible stories that we have wonderful memories of, especially in Sunday school. This was a flannel graph special. You know, you've got the the golden statue. and, And I want you to notice something. It doesn't say what the statue was of. We assume that it was King Nebuchadnezzar because in chapter 2, there's a statue that was likened to King Nebuchadnezzar. But we're actually not told what this statue is. We just know it's very big. And if you look at history, and it was very common for cultures that time, to build statues, not necessarily of people, although it could have been a statue of Nebuchadnezzar, but whatever it was, it was a statue that represented the lifestyle and the, and the culture of Babylon. It's ideology, if you like it's culture. And we read these stories and we immediately get quite, uh, quite pompous about our own moment in history and go, well, we would never do that. We would never worship a 90-foot statue. You know, the ancient people, images of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom spring to mind. You know, it's that, that type of uh, culture. Yeah, they're bound to bow down to this statue. And I want us to say, be careful, as C.S. Lewis says, in having some chronological snobbery. I talk about this quite a lot, that we think that people that have gone before us aren't as smart as us, and and that's just not true. Be careful that you don't get too snobby, as we would say in Britain, about, well, we would never worship a big statue. That's for the ancients, because actually... This statue represented the culture, the way of life, the good life, if you like, that Babylon was all about. And so we've talked before over the last few years about what this good life looks like. For the Babylonians, it was actually very similar to the good life that our culture chases after in that we all want freedom, independence, freedom well in, in wealth, freedom of thought, freedom of action, freedom of religion. Freedom is our culture, our telos. Uh, there's a beautiful book that I've uh, recommended before that you read um, that, uh, that talks about you are what you love, and it talks about telos. That you, that this good life, this ideal, this, this goal that you have, in other words, what it is that you have in mind that you must achieve in order for you to be successful, significant, purposeful, and happy. What is that? And our culture presents a certain way of life, just like Babylon, and so this statue represents its culture. And it clashes with Jesus' culture. 
So the first question I want to ask, and I'm going to push on this quite a bit today, and I want you to stick with me, because this was very, very challenging for me. Sarah and I chatted early this morning around this topic. It's very challenging for me as a pastor. It's very challenging for me as somebody who is living in this culture as a dad and a husband, is what statue are we bowing to? What Tell us what good life, what worldview, what ideal are we bowing to, believing that in some way that is actually going to bring us everything that we want. What are we quietly and subtly bowing to? Because it is subtle. It's not like Satan is setting up an image of himself and asking us to worship it. It's subtle. And so it's really interesting what we sign up to without actually realizing it. What, what are we bowing to that we don't actually realize is drawing us away from Jesus? I, um, I read this week of a, an article in the, in the Guardian called, I read all the small print on the internet and it made me want to die. That was the name of the article. And it was talking about terms and conditions. You know when you download that app or you download something on your phone or computer and it says, do you agree? And you just check it, I agree, let just give me my app. Yeah, 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 whatever. So this, this, this writer made it his life for like a week to read every term and condition that he was presented with. And it nearly, as it says, nearly cost him his life. It made him want to die. And, it, and it's interesting, this, this uh, terms and conditions that we just sign up for without actually realizing what it is that we're signing up for. To prove this, one particular security company in the article is quoted as saying this, the biggest lie on the internet is I have read and agreed to the terms and conditions. That's a lie. Have you actually read and agreed to them, says security expert Miko Hypenen. Setting out to prove his point, Hypenen's company, F-Secure, set up a free Wi-Fi hotspot in the heart of London's financial district in June 2014. In one day, in order to get this Wi-Fi, in the clause, it said this, the recipient agreed to assign their firstborn child to us for the duration of eternity. Six people agreed to that in order to get Wi-Fi. It's amazing what we agree to without actually realizing what the end result is. What is it that we're bowing to and quietly worshipping, not in an overt way, and we don't actually understand what the ultimate destination is. We worship our culture's good life, but the terms and conditions of that good life are actually really destructive. The end result of the destination that our culture presses towards especially in Kelowna, that that thing that we're chasing, whether it be independent wealth, whether it be looks, whether it be freedom of relationships, whether it be just freedom of choice, whatever it is that we chase in our culture, have we actually looked at the terms and conditions, hypothetically speaking, at the destination? You see, Satan is subtle. There is a gentle and persistent pull and tension on our lives to worship the God, the statue, the culture, the good life, without us actually thinking or understanding what it's all about. 
By way of illustration, I want to share a quick story that is based on a polar expedition from the 19th century led by George DeLong on the incredible ship, the USS Jeanette. They set out to get to the North Pole and they were following a map that they had been given that showed that if they followed a certain direction that they would end up on, quote, the thermometric gateway. And this, the map said, was a sure way of easily getting to the top, the polar sea, that was a promise of fair weather, clement weather. So they followed this map and very quickly got themselves into a lot of trouble. They actually very nearly died. And so it's actually quoted as saying, as far as the map is concerned, quote, we shed its ideas in all their unfounded romance and replaced them with a reckoning of the way the Arctic truly is. So today, in some way, I want us to present and look at a different map. Because the map that we're following in our culture actually ultimately leads to being shipwrecked. It leads to that anxiety that we're desperately trying to avoid. It leads to the self-harm. It leads to the suicide. It leads to the self-medication. It leads to the addiction. Those are the worst. But then it also leads to family breakup. It leads down to the family being, uh, the, being slowly separated. It leads to the worship of things that ultimately lead to our destruction. That is the map that our culture presents to us with the promise of the destination being clement weather. That you will get to this destination. It will be a good life. Just follow our way. And yet this destination, the map that our culture gives us, ultimately leads to being shipwrecked. And until we get to the point where we actually say, that we understand what the Arctic actually is like, and that's what these sermons are about, pointing to what is actually going on, what's actually happening out there, what's happening maybe in your house and in your family and in your marriage and in your decisions. We have to get to that place where we look at the map and say, is this the true good life that Jesus has given us that ultimately will lead to freedom, that will ultimately give us that which we are desperately seeking for, but unwilling to submit under, under his authority in his way. What is the destination that you are striving for? Is it the right map? Because here's the incredible thing is, the promise of Christianity is, the compass for George DeLong wasn't the problem. The map was the problem. You see, as Christians, we've been given a compass called the Holy Spirit. We have this sense of what is right and wrong. We have a sense of the direction that we're going as to whether it's appropriate or not. The decisions we're making. And by the way, it's the small decisions, the small reorientation that actually cause the problems. It's not the really big decisions in our life that cause the drift. It's a slow and steady decision that pulls us away from Jesus. And it starts off small. See, the compass says, no, you're not going in the right direction. But the map that we're trying to follow... What is that map? See, the small decisions. You're staking your expedition life on that map. It's the small decisions. Let's do this. Let's go there. Let's watch this. Let's spend our money on this. Let's stop going there. Let's stop connecting with. It's the small decisions in life that cause the drift away to shipwreck. Usually couched with statements like, oh, it's fine. Relax. Everyone else is doing it. Everyone else is following and bowing to the statue. Relax. Don't be such a prude. 
There's no big deal. It's going to be, this is the way we succeed. I'll just make this little decision in my business or in my family or in my workplace that, yeah, it's gray. Maybe it's not the right thing, but everybody is making these kind of decisions. Everybody's following in this way. It's the only way to succeed in Kelowna. It's the only way that this culture actually works. We'll make the small decision. Nobody will know. And then the drift starts. Because the compass is saying, the Holy Spirit is saying, no, don't, don't make that decision. Don't sacrifice that. Don't start doing that. Don't start watching that. Don't start listening to that worldview. Don't read that book. Don't follow after that relationship. Don't, you see, it's subtle. It's subtle. Does it line up, this map that you're following, line up with the way of Jesus really? You see, the kingdom map of Jesus is not the cultural kingdom. It's a completely different map. See, what Jesus says about marriage and relationship and sex, about money and influence and power, is different than what the culture says. What he says about truth, integrity and generosity, how we spend our money, what we focus on. So what is the destination? What is it you're dreaming for? What is it that you're looking to as your saviour? What is it that you're looking to that if I could just get that, then everything else in life will be fine? Just a little bit more, just one more toy, just a better car, just a better house, just a better relationship, just a better, like if I could just get there, then things will be better. No, I don't need to be as generous. I don't need to be as thoughtful. I don't need to be as mindful. It's just little decisions along the way and we get drawn away. And here's what's interesting about bowing down to the culture. It's really, really easy to spot in other people's lives, really, really difficult to identify in our own. See, we can see when other people are chasing after the wrong good life, and we get very, very judgmental about it. But it's very difficult for us to actually find the space before the Lord to look at the compass and reflect and ask the question, what's my map? What am I looking to? What worldview am I bowing down to subtly? What worldview am I encouraging my children to bow down to as being the answer? And you can see this in the passage. Look at the next section. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. And they said, look, they're, they're like, look, see, these people have got a problem. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the, here we go again, of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lie, the harp, the bagpipes are back in. And all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs, there's jealousy here, over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. So, first of all, it's easy to spot when other people have got issues. That's just a life principle. And I want to encourage you, if nothing else, from the end of this message, I want you to take time to really consider, maybe as a marriage, maybe as a family, you go, what is our map? What are we bowing to? Where are we subtly drifting into? And I'm going to help you in a little minute just to help you identify what that might look like. But this is really interesting what's going on here. Because the culture, as represented by the astrologers, is saying something really simple. Your salvation 
is lining up with our thinking. That's where you're going to find your salvation. In other words, the lie that the culture is saying, the astrologers, King Nebuchadnezzar, is saying to these three young men or to the culture at wide is this. You cannot live in our world unless you bow. Let's not rush on from this. You cannot live, succeed, get on, be part of our culture unless you bow to what our culture says is the ideal life. Is that not our culture today? You have to think like we think, say what we say, go where we go, dress like we dress. And people say Christianity is full of rules. You have to drive what we drive. You have to have a certain type of house, a certain type of lifestyle. Because if you don't, you will not really be successful. And in order to get to that place, you have to make certain decisions. Otherwise, you are not going to succeed. In fact, you're going to die in our culture. You see, you either worship our ideologies and you follow our way of life and our worldview. And if you don't, we will kill you. We will go after you. We will pull you down. We will destroy you, whether it be in blogs, on Facebook, in social media, on Twitter. We will come after you and we will pull you down if you do not think like we think. Is this not familiar, friends? That is the culture we live in. You bow to what we bow to, otherwise you die. And if you don't worship those saviors, the savior of influence, the savior of money, the savior of power, then you ultimately will not succeed in this world. That is the cry of our culture. That was the cry of the Babylonian culture. It has not changed. You either line up and worship what we worship or you'll die. You will not succeed. Your kids won't succeed. You've, your kids have got to do what and think and act in a certain way. Because if they don't, this culture will chew you up. It's exactly the same. By the way, just an aside, what an amazing children's story. Think about the flannel graph again. I love the Bible that we make children's story out of something. Actually, this is pretty sinister. In fact, it's not pretty sinister. It is sinister. Do what we say or you die. A horrible death. A horrible death. So what do we pull out of this? You see, friends, we can love our city. We can love our culture. We can love where God has placed us. And we're called to be in Babylon. We're called to represent Jesus well and love well on behalf of Jesus and the church. Absolutely. But we do that without worshiping their saviors. We do that without bowing down to what people bow down to. Because there's always going to be that tension furious with rage. Our culture gets really angry very quickly if you don't line up with the way that they think. And by the way, if we're starting to get a little self-righteous and say, yeah, you know, the culture at wide, I'm going to dismantle that in a minute, so just, just hold on. Nebuchadnezzar summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn... We go again. We hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music. If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then, this is incredible, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? 
Notice a couple of things. First of all, I'm not going to camp out here, but I could. Just notice really quickly, he doesn't say you have to stop worshipping your God in order to worship the culture. Just add it on. You carry on. God, oh, great. God, Christianity, wonderful, brilliant. That, you know, if that's your truth, then you follow after it. But you've got to worship this as well. And we fall for this, Christian friends. We think we have to. Remember when we preached about Galatians and we need Jesus and we need these things. And Paul ranted at the Galatians and said, no, all you need is Jesus. All you need is the kingdom. All that Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego was a faith-filled stance on the kingdom of God. They didn't need to worship as well. And King Nebuchadnezzar says, just add it on. Add it to your list of activities. Add it to the things that you are and what you do. It's fine. But then he pulls down God. Because he says, how is God really going to help you? Again, Kelowna, 2021, the Western viewpoint. God cannot help you. If you want to think about and pray and that's cool for you, that, that's fine. But as long as you just do what we do and worship what we worship, because after all, it's far more powerful than your God anyway. So how do we identify what map we're bowing down to? And I recommend a couple of books, especially a very small book by uh, Timothy Keller, Counterfeit Gods. It's very interesting, where he actually talks about how do you identify what it, God it is that you're bowing down to. And a really simple way, uh, and Augustine actually talks about this as well, is looking to the root of your anxieties. What, I, what is it that if it got taken away, you'd get very anxious about? Is that your God, that you've camped out on this being so important to you in order to bring you the good life? It might be the success of your kids, success of your business, success of your family, success of your looks, whatever it might be. That if you are saying, i got to have that, because if I don't have that, then my life is not worth living, then that is an indicator of the God that you're bowing down to. And that's actually not a difficult process to go through. To actually, It's difficult to realization, but actually finding it out is not a difficult process. Just quietly reflecting for a few minutes. What do I really need in my life in order to succeed? If this was taken away, would my life cease be worth living? That is an indicator. Perhaps you have a non-negotiable. Another question, and I didn't read this, but it just came to my mind as I was studying What about the I deserves? I deserve this. I deserve that item. I deserve that possession. I deserve that way of life. I deserve it. Because really, before the Lord, we deserve nothing. That Jesus gave his life as a sacrifice because we deserve the punishment that our own sin and shame, our own decisions, we deserve something far worse than what actually we receive in Jesus. That's what we truly deserve. I remember somebody years ago saying to, uh, I said, uh, how are you? And their answer was, better than I deserve. But in our culture, well, I deserve this. I deserve that. Is that a root of the good life that you are subtly bowing down to and actually encouraging your children to bow down to? Sarah and I spent some time just reflecting again. And Well, what is it that we're chasing after? And we talked especially around how we spend our money, our future. I'm 48 years old, you know, so I, my mind naturally starts turning towards retirement, whatever that looks like. If, you know, I'm not talking about not doing anything because I just feel like in the kingdom that we're always called to something. 
But what does it look like? What is it we're chasing after? What is it that we need, that we have to have? And, and these kind of conversations are important as married couples and families. Now, there are no furnaces for us. But there is the threat of being left behind. There is the threat of not being seen as being successful. And for some people, as bizarre as this might be for others, for some people, the thought of failure is like hellfire in itself. That furnace burned hot. The thought of you not being as successful as, the thought of you not gaining that possession or that better house or that bigger account or the more successful children or whatever it might be, burns And so therefore, we bow. Well, everyone is doing this. I won't be able to succeed without. I will lose my friends if I don't. And their answer is quite amazing. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, King Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And if he will deliver us from your majesty's hand, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. So you know what? God might give me success. God might save me from the furnace. God might give me those things in my life that other people long for. But if he doesn't, that's okay because the obedience to the culture pales in significance to obedience to God. It's for the obedience and the love of God that I am willing to say, no, I'm not going to bow. No, I will not take part in that. No, I will not make that decision. No, I will not lead my kids in that way. As for me and my house, this is what we're going to do to serve the Lord. Those small decisions, and God may give us success. God may give us the better house. God may give me my career. God may give me the dreams that I have inside, and that's good, or praise be to God. But if he doesn't, then we still will not bow. You see, those kind of words, that kind of mentality is world-changing. Success or deliverance is not an issue for them. Obedience and love for Jesus and love for God, the kingdom of God, is. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we bring this to an end. And his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace heated seven times hotter than usual. Just think about that. The pressure that comes from our culture to conform. And commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, it's quite interesting why that was included, were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent that the furnace was so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, bound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of the gods. Notice that God didn't protect them from the furnace. Furnaces come, but God delivered them. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Interestingly, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, prefects, governors, and royal advisors crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies. 
Nor was a hair of their head singed, their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. This is exciting. Now the king is worshipping the God of Israel, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. Praise God! They trusted in him and defied the king's command, and they were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any God except their own God. Yes, King Nebuchadnezzar, you get it. This is wonderful that your faith is turning towards God. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces. Oh, King Nebuchadnezzar, you were so close. So close. And the house be turned into piles of rubble for no other God can save in this way. You can imagine the three of them going, this is great news. Oh, we should probably chat about that last bit. That outreach... That's, that's a great form of evangelism, very persuasive, but I'm not sure whether burning people's houses and being cut to pieces is the way that Jesus would want us to be. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the province of Babylon. So here's where we've come, and I'm just going to pull this together as we finish. Here's where we've come. We have to take a stand. We have to draw the line. We have to say this far and no further. That we live in Babylon, we live in this culture, yes, but we don't have to become part of it. We will not bow down to the cultural norms. We will not bow down to what we say or the culture says we have to think. We stick to what the Bible says. We stick to what Jesus said. We have to do that. I say no to this. I won't lie. I won't climb over to succeed. I won't take part in. But here's the rub. It's easy as Christians, and we've done this now, especially in the last 50 years, to sit back at a distance on the edge of culture, pointing into it while shaking our heads, saying things should be different. I will not bow. Can I suggest that's easy? It's easy to look at big culture, big C culture, if you like, and say, yeah, that should be different. And yell and scream and do all sorts of things that are probably unbiblical. At worst, in the hope that big culture will conform to what we see as a better culture. But actually, as you read the Bible, that's not what we're called to be or do. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego quietly stood firm. They didn't make a fuss. They didn't create a movement. They didn't start a hashtag. They didn't start putting banners around, no fire, no fire. They didn't do any of that. They just quietly and respectfully said no. What they did in that moment, they looked at the little C culture that was happening in front of them, the small group, and said, right, as for me, I can influence you, King Nebuchadnezzar. The people in this room I can influence. And so how does this apply to us as we leave this sermon this morning? I want you to encourage you that taking a stand is not about standing at a distance and saying our city and culture should be different. Taking a stand is more powerfully used in the little c contexts, in the people that you rub shoulders with, that we are called to the people that we spend the most time with. You see, how do we shape culture where we start with little c culture, the ones or twos that we live our life alongside? See, it's harder to influence little c culture than it is to complain about big c culture. It's harder to influence the employer, the employee, or your co-worker, or your family member, or your neighbor, 
It's harder to influence them for Jesus than it is to start making comments on Facebook about big C culture. It's much harder to come alongside and look for ways that we can love and serve and care for our culture, just like Jesus called, counterculturally looking for ways to be like Jesus in the time that God has placed us. That is difficult. And that might mean that the furnace gets stoked. It's easy to shake a judgmental head at our culture and say things should be different. Somebody should do something about that. Because here's what's really interesting. Is if we focus and pray for and love and serve small sea culture, the people that you and I have been called to live our lives alongside, if we seek to serve them and love them and be Jesus in front of them, then it changes big sea culture. It changes the very thing that needs changing starts with the ones or twos. So this week, I want to encourage you to consider what it is that we bow down to. That we come to Jesus, who is the ultimate counter-cultural leader, who quietly influenced the people around him, but by doing so, influenced the crowds. That Jesus, who ultimately went to the cross for sacrifice his life, so that I could join him in this cultural movement, that I could have access with God in order to, I can go into my world and live it out in such a way that I represent him well. Quietly influence the little C cultures in my world, believing that big C culture will change as a result. That's the life we've been called to. That's the, that's the life that we have been called to present to our children. Countercultural, seeking to serve the little C. Let's teach our kids to affect the little C rather than complain about big C. Little C, big C. So how do we as families start looking for ways that we can influence and love and serve little C? That's the question. What could we do differently? What can we do that is a Jesus way of countercultural movement? And friends, let's stand strong. Even when we don't understand what's going on in this crazy time that we live in, let's stand strong, believing and looking for ways, like Sarah prayed before, to serve the people that we've been pulled alongside. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we're just so grateful for your word. Lord, the clarion call it gives us to live our lives differently in this crazy world that we seem to live in right now. Lord, empower us, enable us to stand strong, even when the furnace seems to be burning so strongly, to pull us in a different direction. Lord, I pray that we'll apart church As for us and this house, that we will be made up of people who are strong in the word of the Lord. Not judgmental and critical, but looking for ways that we can serve and love the people that we stand with. Lord, give us boldness. Fill us, Lord, we ask. Enable us to fulfill the call that you have given us. And Lord, I pray that this week that we would all spend some time just considering, quietly reflecting, and perhaps confessing ways in which we have bowed. Bowed to a worldview and a culture that is not yours, Jesus. And thank you, Jesus, your word says that you forgive, you guide, you draw, you give us a compass for a whole new map. Lord, let that be our story this week. We ask these things in your name. We love you. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Next week, 
Uh, my son Luke is going to be speaking from chapter 4, which is going to be great. And um, so I'm having a, just a few days off, a little bit of a vacation. And so not that we're going anywhere, but anyway, it'll be, it'll be nice. Staycation. So pray for Luke. Uh, come and uh, listen next week. And uh, until then, we just pray you have a wonderful week. God bless you. We miss you. We love you. And, uh, and praying that we will be able to see you very soon. God bless.